Hello and welcome to the Food Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and to overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Food Freedom Coach, and I'm really excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews in helping you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest and I'm really excited to be speaking to Rose White. Now Rose is a health and nutrition coach and she is someone who I met on Instagram and has become a really good friend. Um, I love Rose. Rose a lot. Now Rose has so much wisdom and inspiration to share with you. She talks today about her journey um, in recovery from anorexia nervosa and how she's gone on to work in supporting people today with their kind of health and well-being. And Rose has a really exciting project which she has recently set up with her brother James in the anti-diet world. So stay tuned to hear all about that. Anyway, over to the interview. Hi there, Rose. Great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so Rose, can you tell me a bit more about who you are and what you do? I certainly can. I'm Rose. First and foremost, I am mum to three children. Well, you know, they're getting ever bigger. I think two of them almost, well, one's bigger than me for sure, and the other is chasing me now. Mum to three and very hairy dog Rufus and I am a nutrition, health nutrition coach specialising in intuitive eating and I'm also the co-founder of Reframe Club which is my newest latest baby. So yes, that's me. Mm, Okay and how have you been sort of coping with the lockdown? How's that all been going for you? How lockdown? I think it's, do you know what? I had a conversation with my sister the other day and she said, poke me with a fork, I'm done. I thought that would actually (laughs) encapsulate how I feel about lockdown at this point in time. It's been, you know, I think at this stage, I'm like the beginning, it was a bit of a, it was lovely to have that break from all of those small life admin pebbles. I think what it did was it threw a light on the fact that we do so much, we fill so much of our time, we're so productive or feel the need to be productive all the time. So it was lovely to have, you know, that kind of respite as it were. But, you know, by this stage, you know, I think my children are chomping at the bit to get back to school and see their friends and all of those things. So it's been a real roller coaster, I think, the, the lockdown. And I don't know about you, Harriet, but I very much sense, especially through conversations I've had with followers on Instagram and how they've responded to my stories and those sorts of things, is that there's a real kind of collective response. It seems to be that we all kind of like dip at a similar time. There are these rhythms mm to lockdown I found but I think undoubtedly the biggest challenge for me was the homeschooling with three children and work juggle that was that was really interesting and I think the only way as a family we made that work was twofold one was ensuring that I remembered that their love of education their love of learning is much harder to reinstate or get back than me creating a battleground over which worksheets got done so we approached it in a more informal way than perhaps other families did that's what worked for us you know some days we did this worksheet other days we baked cake and grew something in the garden instead and I didn't want to fall foul of the productive lockdown I saw a lot of that on social media you know I'm going to write a book I'm going to use this time to 
come out of lockdown a different person, you know, and, and I'm sure for lots of people it was an opportunity to do a lot of self-work or build a shed or dig a swimming pool or whatever people chose to do in lockdown. But I think for us as a family, we used it as an opportunity instead to actually reassess a lot of those shoulds, the feeling of needing to be productive and do a lot of the time and, and embrace um, just being a bit more present and letting some of that stuff go. So my house has been very messy for about three months. It does get yeah. tidied, but it's, <laughs> you know, but realizing that in order for us to function as a family and, and do the things we do and be able to do them well, you know, I had to not be getting myself het up that the house wasn't always the show home. And yeah, so I think it's been, I've definitely come away with lessons from it. And I think I've probably come away having grown from the, the experience for sure mm, that's good to hear and it sounds like you've taken quite a, a wise approach I think because of you know I've been the same as well sort of at home with my three children and my husband also working at home and I think yeah just kind of like lowering the standards <laughs> massively yeah. and you know going with the flow it's been the way to survive it really and I'm, th- mm. I'm so with you actually that I think it's, it's, it's a real truth that it's really hard for someone to get back their love of learning, isn't it? I think, mm. you know, that's something we really want to keep for our children. So, yeah, so yeah. definitely. I think go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, I was just going to share a tiny anecdote that my, you know, my teenage son, he's almost 14. He's impossible to get out of bed. He grunts in your general direction and you can barely, you know, you have to remind him that the shower exists. He is at that <laughs> stage. And we went for a walk the other day and I said to him, oh, Zach, you know, what, what do you think you, what's the lesson you'll take away from lockdown? And his answer came so left field, but I think it was, it was such truth. He spoke, he said, I'll cherish my education. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I'm so glad you, you do because he's missed his friends and he's missed the structure and he's missed, you know, he's missed that, what he got from school. But I also think it's a measure of probably my inadequacy as a, um, homeschool tutor I'm not sure that any of my children will ask to be homeschooled again after Mm. lessons with mummy yeah it's a challenge though isn't it but now that's wonderful to hear isn't it actually and I think it just really shows actually sometimes I think that when we take a step back and allow someone to be it allows them to step forward maybe doesn't it when we're not forcing something absolutely they find mm. their own way as well. I think that's really important, yeah. giving them space to explore how, you know, they learn best. Because that's the other thing at school, it's very formulaic, isn't it? You know, and it's, you know, but every child learns in a different way. And mm. actually lockdown and being at home gives them an opportunity to explore that. They can be more hands-on, they can be cooking, they can be helping with tasks and, you know, experiencing learning in different ways. That, yeah. It's been positive in many ways. Mm, yeah positive but you're now ready for the pace of life to yeah. change a little bit again <laughs> yeah put me with a fork I'm done Harriet my sister would say. <laughs> <laughs> so Rose I know you've been on your own journey and overcoming issues with food mm. in your body so can you tell us a bit more about that journey yeah I can I've been gosh so I have been 20 years recovered from an active eating disorder I'm 40 now it was a big birthday this year but not so big mm. it happened in lockdown very quiet and under, under, under <laughs> birthday but I am like yourself I'm the oldest of four and I was brought up in what I would probably describe as quite an eccentric household we were quite privileged and both my parents worked very long hours and running their businesses and I was 
a bit of a perfect storm, I think, for having an eating disorder. I was an overachiever from quite an early age. You know, it'd be prize givings and head girl and prefects and all of that kind of thing. And I think as a child, because my parents weren't that present through no fault of their own, they weren't that present. I learned or I felt I learned that in order to be seen, I had to perform. So, you know, if I was top of the class or I was in a school play, all of that stuff, I got seen, I got heard, my parents would be visible, they would congratulate me, they'd say, well done, you know, and as wonderful, you get a bit lost anyway in the mire. So I think that was, you know, as a personality type, I was always a bit of a perfectionist, a bit of an overachiever. And it's a, it's a very long story, but to cut it as short as I can, my parents went into litigation with an oil company and I was around 16 at the time. And my dad, after a very protracted and long case, which was lost, my dad had a full breakdown and he left. He left us. We just couldn't cope. He removed himself from the family home. And because my parents had financially lost everything through that process, we got pulled from our schools and my life changed. It turned on a sixpence is the only way I can describe it. Overnight, you know, I, I was pulled from, I was in private school. I was pulled and, you know, put in the local comprehensive. When your name's Rosemary, that went, <laughs> I remember my first day with school register. That was interesting. Um, <laughs> got mm. some, I got the mix taken out of me that day. And I think I, as the eldest, and because I had those kind of overachieving personality traits, I assumed for myself a sense of responsibility. And that, you know, it was never given to me, but I think I, I took it upon myself. And I started working outside of school hours, at the weekends and so forth, so that I could help my mum. You know, I remember paying for food shopping because, you know, my dad wasn't there anymore. So I think I assumed that kind of other second parent responsibility. So yeah, that was a bit of a, a bit of an upheaval to say the least. And then at the same age, you're 16, you're trying to navigate being a teenager. You're trying to navigate all the changes that are happening in your body. And I was a late developer. I didn't hit puberty until I was 14. And a lot of my friends had been through it and they had boobs and they were snogging boys. And, you know, I was, I was way, way behind all of them. And I had a not very nice experience with a man and I wasn't emotionally prepared for it I had very low self-esteem and I think marry that with that huge disruption and that sense of responsibility I've taken upon myself you've got that perfect storm for an eating disorder and I think for me at that age it was it wasn't so much about body image rather it was an aspect of my life that I could control and at a time when my body also, you know, you're going through puberty, it feels very alien to you. So yeah, that was, that was how it all began, to be honest. Gosh, I mean, what an upheaval that must have just been for you and your family, mm-hmm. having all that security and stability pulled from beneath your feet. And then also as well, dealing with that trauma in that relationship amongst all that other change. I mean, I guess it's just really not surprising, is it, that you would have been vulnerable then to with your mental health? It's just such a vulnerable age, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an age, and I'm really aware of it now in my own children as well, because, you know, um, two of them are at puberty stage. And 
seeing them navigate those changes in their body and trying to help them understand that it's you know completely normal but there's also this you know you're trying to find your own identity aren't you you're trying to see you know assert your own begin to explore your own values and beliefs as a person that go outside of your parents and family construct and all of those those things so as you say yeah I think it's it's a really vulnerable time at the best of times Mm, yeah absolutely so was there a turning point for you Rose in so starting to overcome these issues Absolutely. And I remember it still all this time later, years and years later. So I must have been about 17, so 23 years ago. I still like it happened yesterday. And it was a trigger to wanting to recover. And I think that was a really key word for me. I was in the process of recovery. I was being put through through recovery program at the time, but I didn't want to recover at that stage. And I've been staying with my aunt and uncle because they were giving me kind of respite from college and peers and school. It was, you know, it was away. It was in the New Forest. It gave me kind of safe place to be. And my mum came down with my siblings. And my younger sister is four years younger than me. So she was about 13 at the time. And I'd been having a paddy that day. I remember I'd had a fierce paddy because they'd hidden the scales. <laughs> I'd, ki- I'd kicked off. You know, I'd been, I'd been a, I remember being such a cow. I'd been horrible. And I was sat on the end of the bed. I was sat on the bed. My sister was sat on the end of the bed and no one else was around. And at the time I had been abusing laxatives. And I remember her saying to me, Rose, if I've eaten too much pudding, should I take laxatives so I don't get fat? Mm. And as her big sister, and she looked up to me and, you know, I love her more than air. Yeah. In that moment, in that moment, I could. It was. It was like a veil had been lifted. It really, mm. really was. And it was suddenly I could see beyond my eating disorder. I could see the impact beyond my eating disorder, and I could see everyone else beyond it. And I think that was a complete breakthrough. And I made the conscious decision in that moment to want to recover. And I went downstairs that night and I sat at the table and I remember they'd ordered an Indian takeaway, which is a real, that's a big, you know, an Indian takeaway when you're in the midst of an active eating disorder is, you know, that's a food that you really need to work eating. And I, I had some tandoori chicken and that was it. That started me on the road to full, full recovery. Mm. Well, that's so good to hear about that turning point. But I can so imagine like how heartbreaking it would have been to hear those words from your sister. Although I guess that really ended up being that significant trigger for change. Yeah. Yeah. It did. No, sure. I I know as well in my own recovery, actually, because I used to suffer from bulimia. And I remember a really close friend of mine who also suffered from bulimia. And I remember her like locking herself in the toilet at party and you know to make herself sick and I know I remember for me that was a little bit of a wake-up call because it it suddenly makes you step outside of yourself doesn't it and kind of realize oh my goodness that's what I'm doing and that's what she's doing and that's so destructive yeah hugely and I think you know when you're in the midst of it you can be you know it is all about you and holding on to it and holding on to you know that behavior that feels safe and helps you feel control and it's really difficult to see beyond it but as you say the moment something or someone helps you see the the impact outside yeah as you Mm. say it's a it's a significant turning point yeah sure 
So what are the factors for you that really kind of helped you in your eating disorder recovery? Well, firstly, I was very successfully treated as an outpatient at an eating disorders clinic, and that was over a year or so. And I had the support of my family, my mum, my siblings, my aunt, my, my aunt and uncle in particular are incredible. But I even I even remember my granddad. They all read books. They all had the books on what's it like to be, you know, have anorexia and all these, these guides. And they all read them. And I remember feeling so supportive because they were all trying to understand what was going on inside my head. But I even remember my granddad reading it, bless him, and him taking Aww. me out. And he bought fish and chips, but he was really, he was really gentle with it. And I remember him saying, well, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I had days where I didn't want to eat much. And I just wanted to <laughs> squeeze him. um, but yeah I think that I had a lot of I was very very fortunate in that there was a lot of love and there was a lot of support around me and it made it allowed me to feel very safe and be very open I had a lot of opportunity to be very open with my struggles and be able to say I can't I can't do this today or I'm struggling with this today and there was someone there who was willing to listen and that was you know that was fundamental in my own recovery and whether or not that person at the time was my counsellor or a nurse or someone within my family but having someone that was able to hear me and validate me at that moment was you know very important to that journey but I think the the overall like full recovery probably took three years but as I say I've been fully recovered for a couple of decades now. Yeah, and that's wonderful to hear. And I think it just shows, doesn't it, the importance of having, if it's possible, supportive family and friends around, mm. you know, to be there with you on that journey. It is incredibly hard, I think, to do it in isolation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, de- definitely. And I would, I think, reaching out and reaching out and accepting that people want to help you. They're there. There are services there are individuals who want to help you on that journey and yeah I think accepting that help when it's offered is is fundamental. Mm, Sure and what kind of treatment or therapy did you receive like through your counselling? Well I had talking therapy, positive behavioural therapy, we had family therapy which was really important because I think we had to explore the dynamic that I had taken you know on and how that played out as a family that was very supportive I worked with an eating disorders nurse who literally went through a re-education program with me, you know, around normalizing food and exploring food. And, you know, her, you know, we would sit and look at what a normal lunch looked like and go through, you know, the process of, right, okay, we're going to have a sandwich today and we're going to, you know, eat the sandwich and Mm. all of those things. But I think, yeah, that along with, Bringing my own awareness, I did a lot of reading at the time. I read around the subject a lot at the time, and that was really supportive as well to read other people's recovery journeys because there was hope. Because to be perfectly honest, I didn't even really know what an eating disorder was Mm. when it was manifesting in my life. I didn't know I had bulimia, anorexia. I didn't know it until it was labelled for me. I just felt that I had a way of controlling my anxiety. And, you know, because it wasn't spoken about very much 20 years ago. No, Mm. it wasn't something we were educated about at school. It wasn't, I never remember having a PSHE lesson on it or it being talked about with my peers. I don't remember that at all. 
So I think, you know, I had to go through a process of educating myself as well and understanding that I wasn't abnormal, that I was going on a journey that many, many individuals have been on. And that, yeah, that helped me accept the process, if that made sense, if that makes sense. Mm, Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So Rose, what was your journey to working and supporting others and setting up your businesses? Well, I think I've always known deep down that I wanted to do, I wanted to work in nutrition and health and I wanted to do it from an anti-diet point of view. But it wasn't until, gosh, how many years ago now? 2017, so three years ago that I had the opportunity to retrain. I'd worked in marketing and publishing prior to that. And I think that and having my three children and that becoming, watching them grow up and grow up in this world where diet culture is so insidious and what they began to come home from school saying and all of those things. I qualified and then I discovered, whilst I was studying, I discovered intuitive eating as a framework. And I thought, this is incredible. This is, you know, this is what should be taught in schools to foster, you know, a healthy relationship with food and Mm. our bodies and I began to implement it for myself and I then after I graduated I went on to do work with Laura Thomas's CPD with the London Centre for Intuitive Eating with applying intuitive eating practice into practice Mm. so I did that as a formal piece of training and then that gave me the confidence to begin to apply that in my own work with clients so yes And can you say a bit more about, so when you're working with a client as a health and nutrition Mm -hmm. coach, like how much are you focusing on the kind of food and how much are you focusing on the mindset side and, or is it all kind of quite sort of um, integrated together? It is an integrated journey because they do play, they play, they are so interrelated. And I think when, so to put it in a nutshell, I support individuals to embed of health promoting behaviors into their life but health when I talk about health I'm not just talking about what they eat and how they move you know we're talking about how they manage stress and anxiety and sleep and the biosocial psycho environmental model of health yeah and so we always start the journey with exploring how their relationship with with food so what does that look like so I don't work with active eating disorders that's beyond my scope of practice and would require an onward referral to someone like yourself but quite often individuals come to me and they've got a history of trying every diet under the sun they've been on every juice plan they've been on every you know because they have bought into the the idea that they have to look a certain way or they've got to chase this certain weight or they end up having a complicated relationship with food they're often really restricting I think the most common thing I see is people restricting all day and then kind of face planting you know the bread bin later in the day because they are you know hungry so they've got caught in this restrict and binge eating cycle so unpicking that and helping them understand the link between the physiological so balancing our blood sugar making sure we're eating on regular intervals making sure we're eating food that is balanced and gives us energy and helps us feel well and how not eating impacts their stress and feelings of anxiety in the body so exploring how those things and helping them see that those things are dependent on each other so when we're eating well we've got the energy to go about and live our lives the way we want to to lead it we can concentrate at work we can therefore we 
feel better about the job we're doing which means you know it's all mm. it's a, it's a circle and it's helping people see that interrelated that highly interrelated circle between the relationship we have with food how we eat and how that then plays out and how we feel so yeah did I make any sense mm. at all there Harriet yeah <laughs> no it sounds brilliant actually it's very holistic as it should yes. be really because I Absolutely. think it's so true isn't it we often like immediately think of health and think about what you're eating how much you're moving and kind of forget that bigger picture and yeah. it's so important to focus on all those aspects yeah, so that absolutely. sounds really, really great. And the exciting as well that you've launched an online non-diet platform recently. So yeah, tell us more about that. Well, yes, Reframe Club. So my brother James, who is a personal trainer and he owns outdoor gyms, he's always been a bit of a non-conformist in this in the health and wellness space as well, you know, and they don't do mirrors, they don't do lycra, they, you know, they they want people to feel strong and understand that their bodies are an incredible vehicle for us to go about living the life we lead but he has also been on his own body image journey and you know as I remember him being 13 14 wearing five t-shirts because he thought he was too thin so love him and sweating like because he <laughs> you know so he's had his own body dysmorphia journey and I think both of us had seen clients come to us with very negative body images body dysmorphia especially in his world of you know lots of people in the bodybuilding and fits very world and these very kind of dichotomous guilt-driven relationships with food and what we wanted to do was provide a very accessible and affordable means of people benefiting from the nutrition support and coaching that we do with clients one-to-one because we aren't the experts on people's bodies they are you know and that coaching part is is really important we're not here to say this is the way you should eat this is what you know how you should eat you know this is how you should move your body we wanted to give people the tools to empower themselves to see what that looks like for them and along with that unpick a lot of that insidious diet culture talk help people explore the food rules they may have inherited and taken on with them and help them understand that they can have a group you know a great relationship with their bodies and their food um, and with food so it's not driven by aesthetic or body size so we are weight inclusive we wanted it to be a really safe space for exploring intuitive eating intuitive movement what that looks like providing people with the resources to as we would in a in a one-to-one environment to go on that journey and see what that looks like for them and to build those behaviors those health promoting behaviors into their lives in a way that is sustainable and realistic and at the end of that come out feeling happier and healthier and with a more balanced approach to how they think about their their bodies and and the way they eat. It sounds amazing actually and I think just really needed because it is just very different, isn't it, from a lot of the kind of programs that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think we, what we wanted to do is take the traditional fitness platform and turn it on its head. Yeah. And say, no, 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 there is a different way of doing it. So we provide these guided coaching programs that you can access you know, anytime. And they offer support and information on finding a healthy weight without dieting nutritional advice so you know we unpick all the you know the nutrition nonsense and I hop on there and do videos on you know busting why you know, all the myths that we see peddled out on social media 
we've got a whole library of workouts for people to do at home so we've got like yoga hit boxing kettlebells because we wanted to be able to give people a way of exploring different forms of movement from the comfort of their own home but we also have a re- our lovely our very lovely and very relatable instructor backs you know there's no kind of you know white teeth and six packs <laughs> and bikinis and talk of detox you know we avoided yeah. you know that we don't go we don't talk about weight we don't talk about calories we don't talk about anything you know like that and along with that you know the mindset stuff because as you say that's part of that bigger picture learning how you can manage your stress learning how to improve your sleep learning to explore things like what's hunger and fullness what does that feel like in the body how do I become aware what hunger feels like after I spend years dieting you know what does that feel like in my body how do I understand what it is the motivators that I have to make changes to feel well that aren't just chasing this number on the scale what is it that's important to me why do I really want to be well what is it that that looks like for me and guiding people through that process as well as guiding them to explore things like emotional hunger and when that may occur and and the helpful tools that they can use to support themselves to begin to break some of that chain those patterns so yeah as you say it's very holistic we look at health from every point of view and give people an opportunity to to explore that in their own in their own time through these guided coaching programs which are mainly videos we also have a lot of we have a lovely community space in there as well because we wanted to bring all the voices we noticed that non-diet as an approach in health and wellness is is, as a groundswell there's a movement there's more and more people talking about it which is wonderful and very much needed but no one had kind of collected all those voices together yet and we wanted to give a platform for that we wanted to give a platform to all those voices and I always use the term gathering whispers I want to gather enough whispers so that we have a roar to come up against the storm of diet culture so yeah, we wanted to build a community that did that. So we have, we interview lots of experts in loads of fields around holistic health. So experts in body acceptance, body positivity, listening skills, all the things that help hold us up and help us become more self-aware and go on this journey of developing a healthy relationship with with food so yes it's everything in there it's jam 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 packed (laughs) yeah it sounds incredible rose actually you know what a fantastic resource and obviously the community aspect as well is just really wonderful for people to be able to kind of connect on there and hear people's stories and and read blogs etc so what's this is there such a thing as like a typical client journey through the rebrain club well there is and there isn't there are so when you become a member you have your own what we call dashboard so you can log on on your phone you can log on on your desktop and there are three guided main core programs called your body your mind and your nutrition and within those are a series of guided videos coaching videos audios resources for you to download journal pages for you to work through visualizations for you to sort of to listen to guided meditations but you get to choose where you start on that journey and we give you there's a little questionnaire that you go through at the beginning which gives you a little bit of you know under brings your awareness to where you've been struggling most but we believe it's your body and it's that's your rules so we didn't want to push anyone down the particular path 
So you can log onto your dashboard and you can choose, okay, I'm going to go into, I'm going into your body today and I'm going to learn what intuitive movement is. And then I think I might have a go at that yoga balance video. And I'm going to see whether or not I like that. And then tomorrow you might go into the your nutrition space and and begin to work through some of those lessons. And you can track your progress as you go. But we very much wanted it to be that you could dip into all three, you can explore and work your way through in your own time and revisit it as many times as you like. Because that's the thing with intuitive eating as a framework as well. I think you have to go back sometimes. You, you can make progress and you have to revisit and you have to think, oh, hold on, I'm just going to go back and, and am I, have I lost sight of what it feels like to be hungry again? I think I might go back and listen to that audio again and, and spend a bit of time thinking about that. So we, we want to be able to give people that ongoing access to everything. And you are supported by regular coaching emails from James and I that are very specific to help support you get the most out of the hub, but also bring your awareness to some of those key learning points that may have been barriers to you making sustainable, healthy changes in the past. And we want to learn more about you. So we also encourage you to come over onto the community pages and react and interact to the interviews we give it, we're having and the blogs we're putting up there and all the stories that are being shared because we want Reframe Club to become a safe place for people to share their experiences. And we're new. We're, we're learning all the time. We love feedback. We're on Instagram and Facebook, so we're often sharing some of our resources on there for people to see so they can see the kind of thing we're putting we have on the hub and I'm always hanging out on Instagram so if any of your listeners want to have a chat they can find me on on Instagram (laughs) my nemesis it's my time sucker Instagram (laughs) well I'm sure so many people will Rose because I'm kind of thinking you know I know for me a few years ago I would have just been so excited to have found something like this because yeah, I think it's brilliant. And, the you know, the way that it's kind of focusing on health, you know, from, from all those angles and the way that you're really encouraging as well people to almost kind of learn to take care of themselves and kind of like, you know, sort of develop that in quite an intuitive way rather than like following a prescriptive plan, which often I guess, you know, that doesn't really work for the long term, does it? Because when it's something from outside and it's a plan, we stay, stay on it and then we're off it again. So yeah, it all sounds really, really fantastic. So yeah, I'm really excited for you and James. The Thank you. Club. <laughs> Thank you. And on that point, you just made a really good point about finding I, one of the first visualizations we encourage people to explore is one called Find Your Mojo. And it's visualization, a guided audio with me walking you through trying to see what that what does your future self want and look like because when you can tap into those intrinsic motivators as you said it's coming from within us you know the motivation to make these changes are coming from within us rather than an external meal plan we are far more likely to to want to engage and carry on yeah so very true so rose how do you work today to find a healthy balance with food and exercise in your life well i think there are Two things that are really key for me. The first is not restricting at all and giving my permission, myself permission to eat all foods, like taking them off the pedestal. And we have a very food neutral household, as it were. And by doing that, by learning to do that as well, by learning to make food you know, neutral and you know, I may want an apple, I may want a cake, you know, they're, they're much muchness. I can take it or leave it. And I think that's been mm-hmm. really key really key for me and balancing my blood sugar 
and understanding the importance of balancing blood sugar to how I feel and like how I can even regulate my emotions <laughs> because when we've got low blood sugar I definitely suffer from being hangry so yeah those two things are really supportive for me Mm. So can you just say a little bit more actually for people that are listening about balancing mm. blood sugar? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's I often talk about, especially when people have been bedded into diets for a long time, they will come to me and they will have really big gaps between meals and snacks because they think they're being good mm. or they will have not eaten. They'll skip breakfast because they think oh, I'm going out for lunch. So I'll skip a meal. And the result is they go on this, what we call the blood sugar roller coaster. The reality is your, your body likes your blood sugar to be released in a nice, even kill throughout, kill, 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 oh, wrong word, a nice, even way throughout the day. Yeah. So, and when we don't eat and our blood sugar drops too low, obviously our body produces the stress hormone cortisol because it comes, you know, knocking on doors saying, please release some sugar. We need it for ourselves. We begin to crave much higher sugar dense foods and we'll then eat them. And then we go on, we get a high of our blood sugar spikes. Our body panics, so it releases lots of insulin to mop up the excess sugar and suddenly it drops down low again. And we're on this really up and down roller coaster that can leave us really, we feel like we've got brain fog, we're really tired, it's harder to regulate our emotions. And sometimes the physical manifestations of low blood sugar, like you feel a bit shaky and those kind of things, we begin to experience them as anxiety and then that feeds that loop we spoke about earlier. So I always talk about putting stabilizers on the bike because when you've been dieting for a long time or you've been restricting for a long time, it can be really difficult to just, you know, people talk about the hunger and fullness part of intuitive eating, but that's one really small part and it's a very nuanced part. And actually, sometimes we have to go back and we have to put some structure around how we're eating and so that our body can learn to trust that food is coming in, in regular waves again and, our, and everything can settle back down. So I always encourage people to eat every three to four hours, leaving no more than five hours between the times they're eating just to keep their blood sugar nice and balanced. So we've got a nice lot of energy coming in and we can eat to help slow the release of sugar into the bloodstream so we get a nice steady energy release so we talk about balancing snacks so when we balance snacks we're looking for protein healthful fats and fiber a combination of those three things and in doing so we allow our blood sugar to the sugar to be released nice and in a nice steady stream into the bloodstream which helps us keep those nice energy levels and help us feel fuller for longer between meals so we don't get those big dips and end up eating in a way that feels very erratic or distressing in some cases so when I talk about what does a balanced snack look like it's things like some yogurt and some berries you know hummus and some oat cakes it might be some nutella on toast it could be peanut butter and a banana on toast you know those are a combination of those things so we've got protein fats and fiber so you know it doesn't have to a cheese and an apple you know but a cheese and apple you know those kind of things and that's that really helps support our blood sugar throughout the day. Mm, that's beautifully explained, Rose. And thank you for going through that. I always want to kind of take that little recording and press play when I'm with oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, And you said as well, sorry, as well, there's a second thing as well that's very key for you in your finding a healthy balance with kind of food and health and exercise. And uh, yes, yeah, yeah, a flexible approach to movement. A hundred percent, I think. And I approach movement in the same way I approach food. 
intuitively. I don't follow a workout routine. I don't prescribe to any particular form of movement. And I make choices around those that benefit me and motivate me on the, the time. I love moving my body. You know, exercise does help me feel well. and I like to feel strong and be outside and it does serve me. But there are days when I just need headspace, especially in lockdown, you know, with three kids, there's five of us in this house. So I need to feel free and I need to be outside and I need to feel the sunshine on my face. So I might go for a run. Other days I'll feel really tense. I'm someone who holds tension in my shoulders and my jaw. And I can literally by the end of the day, my ear, my shoulders around my earlobes and I'm grinding my teeth. So I'll go and hit the yoga mat for half an hour. And some days I think I'm she and I will do kettlebells. <laughs> I think I can take on the world. but the other thing I always extol and I always talk about, and we talk about it at Reframe Club and we, it's part of the coaching and we, I talk about it with my clients, is the importance of recovery because I think we under-recover because of this, you know, we are, we're meant to feel productive all the time, but also we have this thing around exercise where we feel we must, must, must be doing it. And it's part of this language we have around earning and burning our food and we've got to be busy and it's not working unless we're sweating and it's hard and all of those things. Actually, no, we know stress, exercise is a stressor on the body and it's really important that we make time to recover because recovery is where the magic happens. Recovery is when we, when we rest, we heal and our body can build muscle and repair itself and do all that wonderful stuff. But also, it's those, in those moments where we are resting, where we're not filling our lives with movement or anything else for that matter. We're not filling our lives with to-do lists or, you know, hoovering. I think as women, we struggle with this quite a bit, to be honest, Harriet. I think quite often we can sit down with a cup of tea and then suddenly we see the washing basket out the corner of our eyes and we think, oh, I'll just go do that. So sitting still is, is difficult. Yeah. But that's also when we are, can be our most creative and when our, our brains do their problem solving and help us mm. explore those that deeper unconscious stuff. So yeah, I always talk about the importance of recovery, you know, rest. Mm. A lot of wisdom there, Rose. So what do you think as well we can do to support young people growing up to have a better relationship with food and their bodies? A lot. And I still think there is a lot of work to do. I've worked with some schools in the past doing training with teachers on what is what it is to raise intuitive eating, what it is to encourage a body neutral and food neutral climate for children within schools and within our homes. I love the work of Ellen Satter. She's a pediatric dietitian. She wrote Child of Mine, which is an incredible book. And she always talks about the division of responsibility. And this is something I've applied with my own children. And I work with clients to help implement in their, with their own families. And the division of responsibility is outlines how as parents, we are responsible for the what, where and when. But our children are responsible for the how and the how much they eat. And that's a real kind of shift for a lot of parents because we may have inherited beliefs around the clean um, clean plate club for example you know you mustn't leave anything on your plate um and you know it's recognizing that children are naturally intuitive eaters you know a child will turn its head away from the bottle or the breast you know baby when they're full or you remember yourself harriet when you're weaning your babies and they just clamp their mouth Mm. shut and you're not getting any more pureed squash in my mouth (laughs) i am done 
because yeah. they're attuned <laughs> to, to, to being full. And also if you gave a child, you know, a plate, a selection of foods in front of them, gave them a plate, they would intuitively put a balanced plate of food together. It's only over time and the language we use around food where we sort of begin to undo that a bit, when we begin to put food into categories, when we begin to say, you know, I hear it all the time at children's parties, um, eat your sandwich first, then you can have the biscuit. Mm. And we end up with that language, putting foods into these completely unconsciously most of the time into these categories and the children feel that vegetables are the thing that has to be endured I have got to get through my carrots if I'm going to get to my yogurt at the end you know and so I think in my own household we try and talk about food and our body and our bodies for that matter very neutrally so I think bringing awareness to your own language around food and trying to begin to explore some of the inherited beliefs or behaviors we may have as parents around food that we can be unwittingly passing on and I think that's probably the first place I'd encourage everybody to start and I think the other part of that is my children see me eating a really wide variety of foods without any kind of narrative with it there's yeah. no, you know no just they'll see me eat you know a big slice of cake or biscuits uh, and they'll see me eat an apple and it not justifying or commenting on that it's just part of the bigger wider broader varied diet that we eat as a family yeah sure no I think it's so true isn't it I, th- I think as well your point about us kind of being much more aware of all these beliefs and things that we carry because I think often it's so unconscious isn't it and in a way these things are coming out of our mouths like kind of clean your plate or eat your vegetables first and you know because of they've been so ingrained in us and we perhaps just haven't questioned them and I so agree doing the work on yourself and then being able to be kind of like a, a role model in terms of being very food neutral and yeah embracing all the foods without any kind of commentary that's just so valuable for children to see yeah absolutely okay Rose so three final quick fire questions so what would be your last supper three course meal you're gonna laugh okay because I (laughs) tested this one with my sister and she was like what (laughs) but it's true my starter would be this isn't so weird but my starter would be squid with like black pepper crispy I just love that it's a really I love squid my main course would be (laughs) a french baguette with slightly salted butter, really mature cheddar cheese, and a cup of tea. I don't even know if that counts as a main meal, but it is. if someone said to me, what food could you eat every day for the rest of time? I think it would mm-hmm. be that one. If I had to go on mm-hmm. a desert island and only choose that, I love, yeah, mature cheddar. In fact, I could eat it now. <laughs> My sister's like, why, why wouldn't it be spaghetti bolognese? <laughs> it's definitely that. And then I think dessert would be, Oh, I struggled with this one. I was torn between sticky toffee pudding with vanilla ice cream or a custard slice because a custard slice mm-hmm. takes me back to very happy childhood memories. But I think sticky toffee pudding pipped it at the post. So yeah, sticky toffee pudding for pudding. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a favourite quote or mantra? I thought about this one. And then actually I had a conversation with a client last night that changed my answer. Because she came out with something that I think was very, very beautiful. And it was something she was using to help herself remember to carry out some of the actions we'd agreed and to reframe in her head as a place of self-care. And it was, this is present me 
taking care of future me. Mm. And I thought that's such a lovely and very beautiful way of helping give ourselves permission because I think we struggle with permission, especially as women where we're the primary caregivers often to say to ourselves in that moment where we sat down with that cup of tea and we catch the washing basket in the corner of our eyes to say, no, 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 this is present me taking care of future me. So yeah, I wanted to share that one today because I thought that was a very lovely, lovely way of helping give ourselves permission to take these acts and and act on these acts of what are self-care and from a place of self-care. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And tell us something about you that may surprise us. Okay. What was, well, I have. <laughs> I know you're quite open, aren't you? <laughs> I am very, I'm a very open person. What would surprise you? More likely that I once, I auditioned for Channel 4 to ride a red London bus through Europe with a group of strangers. And in order to get on the telly programme, I decided it was a really good idea during the auditions to try and tango with one of the producers. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> I never got on the lead on the red London bus. However, they did use my audition for the clip for the Channel Four trailer of the <laughs> <laughs> and everyone at work saw it, and I was known as the Tango Girl after that for a very long time. <laughs> so yes, that's something I bet no one knew about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Gosh, just think that what a different direction your life could have gone in if yeah. you'd got on that bus. I know. <laughs> I know. I could be on the telly. Who would have known? <laughs> it might have been me. Holly, Holly Willoughby, who? It's Rose <laughs> 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 no, no. Oh, Thank oh. you for sharing that, Rose. So finally, Rose, where can people find you? Well, you can most definitely find me hanging out on Instagram. I am at Liverwell Life on Instagram. You can also find Reframe Club there at Reframe Club. I have a website, www.reframeclub.com. You can also find me at Liverwell Life. I have, I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter. But if you want to be guaranteed to connect with me, just go to Instagram. Almost 24 hour contact. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting boundaries in place. I'm being yes. good. I'm trying to put boundaries in place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, that's fantastic, Rose. Well, thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show today and for talking so openly and sort of sharing your wisdom. I know this is going to be, you know, so many people are going to be listening to this and finding it really valuable. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me, Harriet. It's been a pleasure and a privilege. So thank you so much to Rose again for coming on the podcast today. And do go and check out in the show notes um, all the links to Rose's website and also the Reframe Club. So if you want to find out more information. Okay, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Food Freedom Coach. And for weekly blog articles straight to your inbox, do sign up on my website at foodfreedomcoach.co.uk. So thanks again for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.